0: All right, wrestling with theology fans, it is Monday, May 24th, 2021, and we are standing in the confessional corner. I am Pastor Doug Minton here with you for Apology, Article 5, paragraphs 15 to 37, where we finish up the introduction to the article by focusing on the fact that Lutherans not only Teach good works, we're actually the ones who show you how they can be done. And we see that right off the bat in paragraph 15. We profess that the work of the law must be begun in us and that it must be kept continually more and more. At the same time, we also speak about both spiritual movements and outward good works. Therefore, the adversaries falsely charge that our theologians do not teach good works. They not only require good works, but they also show how they can be done. The result convicts the hypocrites, who by their own powers try to fulfill the law. For they cannot do the things they attempt. Human nature is far too weak to resist the devil by its own powers. He holds as captive everyone who has not been freed through faith. There is need for Christ's power against the devil. For we know that for Christ's sake we are heard and have the promise. We may pray for the governance and defense of the Holy Spirit, that we may be neither deceived nor err, nor be pushed to do anything against God's will. Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen, teaches this very thing. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. Christ has overcome the devil and has given to us the promise and the Holy Spirit in order that by divine aid, we ourselves may also overcome. So 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Again, we teach not only how the law can be kept, but also how God is pleased if anything is done. This is not because we satisfy the law, but because we are in Christ, as we shall explain shortly. Therefore, it is clear that we require good works. In fact, we also say this. Our love for God, even though it is small, cannot possibly be separated from faith. For we come to the Father through Christ. When forgiveness of sins has been received, then we are truly certain that we have a God. That is, that God cares for us. We call upon Him. We give Him thanks. We fear Him. We love Him. As 1 John 4.19 teaches, we love because... He first loved us. In other words, we love him because he gave his son for us and forgave us our sins. In this way, John shows that faith comes first and love follows. Likewise, the faith of which we speak exists in repentance. I mean that faith is conceived in the terrors of conscience, which feels God's wrath against our sins and seeks forgiveness of sins, seeks to be freed from sin. In such terrors and other troubles, this faith ought to grow and be strengthened. Therefore, it cannot exist in people who live by the flesh, who are delighted by their own lust and obey them. So Paul says in Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, too, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8:12 and 13. Paul is writing about faith that receives forgiveness of sins in a terrified heart and flees from sin. Such faith does not remain in those who obey their desires, neither does it dwell with mortal sin. All right, there we go, paragraphs 15 through 23, the first half of what we're looking at today. So again, Melanchthon points out against the Roman theologians saying that we talk about faith, only and not talk about good works Says so, no no we require good works but we actually tell you how those works can be done not just decide which are good works because what is a good work truly a good work is anything done in faith anything done by a child of God in his name and for his purposes and this is the thrust of Article Five in the Apology of Albert Confession: is that love is great. Love is the greatest of all the virtues. Saint Paul says so himself in First Corinthians 13. But love follows faith. Love does not come first. Faith comes first. We can only love because we believe that we have been loved, as First John tells us in. Chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. It is only in faith in that love for us that we are even able to love one another. And therefore, in that love, we want to do good works. And then in paragraph 20, he says, Our love for God, even though it is small, cannot possibly be separated from faith. You cannot have good works without faith. You cannot have faith without good works. What's the connection there? Faith is the source of the good works. Good works are the fruit of that faith. If you say you have faith, yet you do not have good works, your faith is dead, because it is not yielding any fruit. This is the great complaint between people who try to put St. Paul and St. James against one another. As Paul talks about faith alone and being saved by faith. And James saying, I will show you my faith by my works. Yes, we are saved by faith without the works of the law. But the works show our faith. Because if we do not have those works, what does it say about our faith? Therefore, he talks about us being debtors not to the flesh, but to the spirit. Because it is the spirit that shows us that love for Christ. Because, and that love from Christ. Because we cannot love Christ if we don't believe that he came and died for us. We could not make that up on our own. We would not make that up on our own. So that shows that faith comes before love. Because no matter how much you might say you love somebody, that faith in them can be tested and is usually tested because when you have two people in a relationship, what do you have? You have two sinners in a relationship. And sinners are going to break each other's trust. There's going to be times where that faith is tested in one another. Does that mean the love wavers? Sometimes it does. Other times, that love is strengthened because they are able to get through it together. Because it is not just each other in there. But as Ecclesiastes tells us, that there is a three-strand three cord that binds together relationships. And that third strand is our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the core and center of all of our relationships, and if it is not, there's a problem intrinsically with that relationship. And this is what Melanchthon is fighting against from the Roman theologians, because they believe you can have the relationship and not have that trust, cannot have that trust in others and that faith may come afterwards. Mm -hmm. No. You can try, but ask anybody who has gone into a marriage saying, no, I can change him, no, I can change her. How did that work for them? At least nine times out of ten, they fail miserably and many times feel trapped in their relationships. Our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God, is not one that we feel trapped in. It is one that we feel loved and secure in. And this is where our love comes from. This is where our faith is shown, is in our love for God and our love for one another. Now we go on into paragraphs 24. and On through the rest of what we're looking at today, paragraph 37. From these effects of faith, the adversaries select one, namely love, and teach that love justifies. It is clear that they only teach the law. They do not teach that forgiveness of sins is first received through faith. They do not teach about Christ as mediator, that we have a gracious God for Christ's sake, but for the sake of our love. Yet they do not say what the nature of love is. Neither can they say. They proclaim that they fulfill the law, although this glory belongs to Christ alone. They set up confidence in their own works against God's judgment, for they say that they merit according to righteousness, grace, and eternal life. This confidence is absolutely ungodly and useless, for in this life we cannot satisfy the law, because the sinful nature does not stop bringing forth evil inclinations and desire, even though the Spirit in us resists them. We... Our sinners even though we are baptized even though we are counted as saints in God's eyes we are saint and sinner at the same time and sinners can't help but sin going on but someone may say since we also confess that love is a work of the Holy Spirit and since it is righteousness because it is the fulfilling of the law why do we not teach that love justifies to this we must reply In the first place, it is certain that we do not receive forgiveness of sins through our love, or for the sake of our love, but for Christ's sake, by faith alone. Faith alone looks upon the promise. It knows that because of the promise, it is absolutely certain that God forgives, because Christ has not died in vain. Such faith overcomes the terrors of sin and death. If anyone doubts whether sins are forgiven him, he dishonors Christ, for he judges that his sin is greater or more effective than Christ's death and promise. Even though Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Romans 5.20 This means that mercy is more comprehensive than sin. If anyone thinks that he receives forgiveness of sins because he loves, he dishonors Christ and will discover in God's judgment that his confidence in his own righteousness is wicked and useless. Likewise, it is necessary that faith alone reconciles and justifies. We do not receive forgiveness of sins through other powers of the law or because of these patience, chastity, obedience towards magistrate, and so on. Nevertheless, these virtues ought to follow faith. Likewise, we do not receive forgiveness of sins because of love for God, even though this must follow. Besides, this way of speaking is well known. At times we use a word for something that we use the same word for the cause and effects of the same thing, also known as synecdoche. For example, in Luke 7:47, Christ says, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Christ himself interprets this when he adds, Your faith has saved you in chapter 7 verse 50 Christ did not mean that the woman had merited forgiveness of sins by that work of love that is why he adds your faith has saved you but faith is that which freely obtains God's mercy because of God's Word if anyone denies that this is faith he does not understand at all what faith is the story in this passage so shows what Christ calls love the woman came with the opinion that forgiveness of sins should be sought in Christ this worship is the highest worship of Christ She could think nothing greater about Christ. To seek forgiveness of sins from him was truly to acknowledge the Messiah. To think of Christ this way, to worship him this way, to embrace him this way, is truly to believe. Furthermore, Christ used the word love not toward the woman, but against the Pharisee. He contrasted the entire worship of the Pharisee with the entire worship offered by the woman. He rebuked the Pharisee because he did not acknowledge that he was the Messiah, even though he performed the outward duties that a guest and a great and holy man deserved. Christ points to the woman and praises her worship, ointment, tears, and so forth. These were all signs of faith and a confession. With Christ, she sought forgiveness of sins. It is indeed a great example, not without reason. This moved Christ to rebuke the Pharisee, who was a wise and honorable man, but not A believer. He charges him with lack of holiness and admonishes him by the example of the woman. In this way, Christ shows that it is disgraceful for the Pharisee. While an unlearned woman believes God, he, a doctor of the law, does not believe. He does not acknowledge the Messiah and does not seek from him forgiveness of sins and salvation. So Christ praises her entire worship. This often happens in scriptures, that by one word we embrace many things. Below we shall speak at greater length about similar passages, such as Luke 11:41. but give as alms those things which are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. He requires not only alms, but also the righteousness of faith. He says here, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. This means she has truly worshipped me with faith, and faith's exercises and signs. He means the entire worship. Meanwhile, he teaches this, Forgiveness of sins is properly received by faith, even though love, confession, and other good fruit ought to follow. He does not mean that these fruit are the price or are the atonement that reconciles us to God, because of which the forgiveness of sins is given. We are disputing about a great subject, about Christ's honor, and where good minds may seek for sure and firm consolation. We are disputing whether confidence is to be placed in Christ or in our works, If it is to be placed in our works, the honor of mediator and atoning sacrifice will be withdrawn from Christ. Yet we shall find in God's judgment that this confidence is useless. From this confidence, consciences rush directly into despair. If forgiveness of sins and reconciliation do not happen freely for Christ's sake, but for the sake of our love, no one will have forgiveness of sins. He would only have it when he had fulfilled the entire law, because the law does not justify as long as it can accuse us. Therefore, it is clear that we are justified through faith, since justification is reconciliation for Christ's sake, for it is very certain that forgiveness of sins is received through faith alone. All right, there is our rest of our reading for this week. Let's look back through here a little bit again. Paragraph 28 really the theme for this section if anyone doubts whether sins are forgiven him he dishonors Christ do you have the question in your mind and in your heart if this sin is actually forgiven you is there something that just irks you to your core go see your pastor Go to private confession and absolution. Hear him tell you that that particular sin is forgiven. And believe him. Because he is not doing it because of his own authority. He does it because of the authority given to him by the church. By Jesus Christ himself to forgive sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because if you doubt that your sin is forgiven... You believe that you can sin greater than Christ can forgive. And if Christ has forgiven the sin of the entire world, 12, 13, 14 billion people who have ever lived, what makes you so special? What makes you somebody who is greater than Jesus or who can do something greater than Jesus can do? No. Jesus has given all of his grace, all of his mercy, because all sin is forgiven through him. And we see this in paragraph 33, which is the longest section in this reading. Contrasting the sinful woman and the Pharisee, whose house Jesus is having supper at. The Pharisee Who might actually be the Pharisee Jesus is thinking of in his parable on the Pharisee and the tax collector thinks he has done all these great things that he is deserving of having such a holy man like Jesus there and really doesn't understand why this woman who who knows what she has done but there's pretty good rumors around town exactly where she spends her evenings But what about the love that is to be shown to other people? That is what Jesus is talking about here. And he talks about love not meriting forgiveness because he says, Your faith has saved you. But that faith brings her to come to Jesus, to seek him out and to offer the little bit of service that she can by wetting his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. Completely abasing herself because all she wants is to hear that her sins are forgiven. Therefore, he can say, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. That for is not a because. That for is showing the fruits of the faith that has saved her. The faith that has forgiven her. The faith that has justified her. The Pharisee, he thinks he can do it on his own. He thinks that he Is deserving of everything because of what he has done, what he has accomplished, and what he has omitted. But Melanchthon brings up a very important thing as he ties up this section. The one little line that you would probably just bypass it if you've read through the confessions numerous times, but it is so vitally important the law does not justify as long as it can accuse us if there is something that we have failed to do if there is something we have not done perfectly that the law can accuse us saying up nope sorry you didn't get this one right you failed st. James tells us that you may keep the whole law but falter in one point, you are guilty of breaking it all. If the law can accuse you, it cannot justify you. You cannot be justified in the eyes of God and be accused of sin at the same time. It is one or the other. And that is the importance of this discussion that we have been having for 500 years now between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholic Church and all the others that do not want to have just faith alone, but want to add something, whether it is something we do beforehand, or we have to finish it, or whatever the terminology is. Anyone who wants to add to what Jesus has done takes away what Jesus has done. Because your confidence is not in Jesus, but in you. And believe me, standing before God on Judgment Day, you do not want to be standing there on your own. You don't want to be there on your own recognizance because your own recognizance, that's a hard word to say twice, is a sinner. Someone who has not kept the law perfectly. Because only Jesus has done that. And our love is that sign of our faith in that Jesus who has kept the law for us. All right, that is it for this week in the confessional corner. I encourage you to be back next week as we look further into that statement that no one can fulfill the law perfectly. But until then, I encourage you to be here Thursday for Digging Deeper into Psalm 18. We missed it last week because there's a lot of stuff going on last week. But I encourage you to be here for that as that is a majorly dense psalm for us to look at. And then also continue with the moment's meditation in the mornings, uh, Pro Wrestling America on Wednesdays, the sermons, everything that is here for you. Not because I think it is absolutely wonderful and the best thing out there. Trust me, there are plenty of other podcasts that are much better than this one. But this is my humble attempt to bring a little bit of joy and peace and patience and kindness and all those other gifts of the Holy Spirit to those who listen, whether it's through the confessions or through the Psalms, that we may together see and be better equipped to fight against and to wrestle with the theologies that surround us today.